Happy Monday, good people. It is Saw Straight Talk Show, episode 14. How are we doing today? Today we're going to be talking about college football. Um, it's getting close. Um, my mind has been on it. Um, you know, we've been talking about the NBA offseason. That's been going crazy. I don't want to overheat on nothing. You know what I'm saying? I want to keep it moving. Also, the all-star rosters for the MLB season has been uh, released and um, teams are formed and you know how serious the all-star game is for baseball because the winner you know whatever league wins you know what I'm saying gets a home field advantage for the world series and a lot of people make a big deal out of that and think their rule should be taken away um but Sealing uh made that rule um whenever it was you know during that time where it could have boost uh tv ratings you know saying for the all-star game you know what I'm saying, to, to, you know, make people really want to watch it because, you know, it's baseball and deep in the innings it gets serious and what, what strategy are these all-star managers going to do to try to get their league home field advantage for the World Series. In a lot of cases, um, you know, it gets real amped up around this time, but um, studies have showed that ratings haven't really changed that much um, with or without that rule. So that's why people are complaining about it. I think it gives a little bit more of a meaning towards the regular season and the All-Star Week that baseball has. It's different than the NBA All-Star. But I mean, you can't have an All-Star game where the finals, the home court advantage, you know what I'm saying, goes to the winner of that. You know, you just can't do that. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, baseball, I think, is a little bit more to leagues. You know, league, American League going against National League. I understand it. So those are my topics I'm going to talk about today. might talk a little bit about uh, some uh, hip hop around the world, you know what I'm saying? I do dabble in the entertainment part of the thing, and you know, uh, movies has been out, um, Ant Man, The Wasp, um, and um, also Jurassic World 2, movies like that, that we may talk about later on in the show. But first, I'm gonna get started with the college football season that is coming up. So, y'all stick around, and here goes another tune. Be right back. Mr. FBI is out. Why does this look familiar? Why is Alabama never number one in the FBI? This is, I think, the fifth year in a row the Tide has failed to finish at the top. They keep winning. Conference breakdown, you got to get that in there. I want to miss an opportunity to boast. Looking pretty strong. ACC making a run. Big 12, not really sad. So what do you guys uh, read into that? That it's Clemson. Clemson's a team to beat. <laughs> I mean, their defensive line is going to be really, really good next year. Isn't it always? It's all straight talk show. I'm back. That was Paul Feinbaum on the FPI, the football power index of 2018. And it is the top 10 that they posted. Um, my top 25, um, way too early top 25, um, is posted on my Facebook. That is Justin Austin and Instagram, Soft Straight Talk Show. Most of my listeners, y'all know my social media um, addresses, you know, and Twitter as well. Um, so if you want to see the full 25, you can go to those uh outlets and um 
I'm going to go over my 10, my top 10. Um, first, I'm going to look at the Football Power Index 2018. And just like Paul Feinbaum said again, like this is like the fifth time in a row that Alabama has not been put at number one. I think they don't do that is because they give so much favor at the end of seasons whenever they maybe should not make a playoff or should be number two, three, or four. And they always either get that number, either, either three or four, but they either going to get that benefit of doubt at the top spot, or at least next to it. So, like, when I think about that, you know, I just think that maybe the committee just loves Alabama, and they just like, well, we're not going to show our love so much. So, at the least the FPI, we can at least have a team be number one for the time being. Because Alabama's going to play uh, a ranked school with week one, get that honor, and then play a bunch of scrubs, and then, you know, get to the end of the season and everybody act like they took this long road to get there. And then they, you know, they may beat their competition at the end of their uh, season as far as the SEC title and stuff like that. And then they get honored as the dominant best team in the nation. Now, last year against Clemson, you know saying I mean, I said against Clemson, that they played too many times. But against Georgia, you know, that was a better, you know, saying output of strategy, you know, saying like from uh, Nick Saban. We got to see different things than just all-out dominance or just them having the best players. We saw a quarterback struggling. We saw a quarterback change. We saw a player wake up. And, um, you know, so we saw... Uh, we saw adversity. We saw a player on the sideline almost get, you know, thrown out the game. But was able to go back in. Um, and, you know, saying we saw all those things. And I think, you know, that was a good national championship win for Nick Saban. And I think that's why he said that was his best one. Or, he, or that was his, you know, one he enjoyed the most. Because that was something he just really had to dig in his bag and get his guys ready to go. And he was fired up all game. So, you know, I give him credit for that national championship win over Georgia. You know, Clemson gets that number one spot for them on the FPI, but it's going down the list. Number three, Georgia. Four, Ohio State. Five, Notre Dame. Six, Washington. Seven, Auburn. Eight, Penn State. Nine, Oklahoma. And ten, Michigan State. Um, you know, there's some teams that are very different in my top ten. So, you know, preseason uh, power ranking. So we're going to see, you know, saying how they stack up. I have a couple of teams I got back, a couple of teams I don't have in the top 10, and some teams have moved up. So I'm going to go over my 10. So just bear with me and let me get that list. My 10 um, teams, you know what I'm saying, in, in, in a lot of things it's like I look at who they played uh, last year, how they recruited, or not say how they played, but how they finished the year, excuse me, how they finished the year, bowl game, you know, uh, uh, who they recruited, who they got coming back, you know, saying how is everything looking as far as like, you know, no coaches got fired or nothing like that, no big turnover, you know, a new offense coordinator, things like that, just, you know, whatever. But that's the thing that, you know, saying I look at. So right off the bat, which, you know, um, like I said, I, I I probably would get, you know, saying some pushback with my 10. But, you know, you got to be original and you got to kind of believe in your own gut. And I start my number 10 off with Miami Hurricanes. Um, the Miami Hurricanes, to me, you know what I'm saying, are a team that took some 
real bad beatings, you know what I'm saying, in the past, what, seven years. You know, it was times where Miami got to 4-0, 5-0, 6-0, and the next thing you know, the wheels fall off. Um, you know, things can look promising by hiring a new coach. You know, people can be excited about a player. Players transferred. All those things happened to where, like, just wheels fell off every time. And Al Golden was hired, and Al Golden set a standard and and looked like he was making a new culture for the team, and and it just looked like things were turning around just a little bit. And where that fell apart, I bet, you know, and I'm a part of the, the U Nation, it just seemed like it was over. It just seemed like, man, like Miami's never going to find that spark. And then all of a sudden we make a firing of Al Golden, and then we bring in Mark Wright. And Mark Wright was down in Georgia, Mark Wright is, uh, you know, responsible for getting the amazing talent down to Georgia. Just never could get over the hump of beating Alabama or at the time LSU's. I mean, even, you know, when Texas A&M got good, you know, Georgia just always seemed to fall short in the middle of the season. They lost big games or games they should just win and they lose. So, you know, him being out of Georgia, people just kind of wrote him off. And where we saw him as an alumni, and and to bring him back, he's done amazing. And bringing the turnover chain, even though I know that wasn't his idea, but he didn't want to hire the defense coordinator. And that defense coordinator has been great. Um, he brought new, uh, uh, he adopted a new culture. And I think that the, the team and the players that are going to Miami now are thriving and they're pumped up and they're trying to ignite that old U swagger. So I really think they're back. So I got them in number 10. Number nine, I got Notre Dame. The Notre Dame Fighting Irish, who put out good offensive linemen in the draft, um, showed a little bit of um, stumble, a uh, 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 little bit of hesitance in the in the early goings, but showed that they can play some football. But they recruited well. Um, Kelly runs a pro style offense. You know, it, there's a lot of things that you know where people think that he may be a little too arrogant. You know, his ego and things like that. But the man knows how to coach. And people are going to want to go there and um, be a part of his team. So, I mean, you can't, you know, you can't sit there and be kind of like, I don't like that guy. You know, where I hear that, you know, from fans. And, you know, he, he's he's going to get the job done. So, um, you know, I like Notre Dame's future, even though me being a Miami fan, I don't like Notre Dame. But I got to be, you know, saying logical here. So, I got them at number nine um, with... You know, they got uh, Brandon Wimbush um, at quarterback. Um, it, it, you know, they, they got a group of receivers that, you know, they can do, they, they can they can improve. So just take this season with Wimbush, you know, strong like a broad shoulder guy that can make, you know, saying the throws he's going to make, have that receiving core, work on every single thing, Every single day, at every single practice, and I think by week five, week six, when they really start getting to play, um, they may start really coming together because the quarterback at least competent is what I'm trying to say. So to keep the ball rolling, number eight, I got Washington. Um, Washington, I think, is a uh, good team. I think Chris Peterson, um, you know, I, I think he's put a whole new uh, uh, buzz around that program that wants to win and you know uh, it, it it all started 
um, when, you know, we were sitting there looking at them coming up in the rankings, you know, a Pac-12 team, um, when they was trying to get to that playoff spot and teams were writing them off and it's just like, man, like, they should be able to do it, you know. But when it came down to it, they maybe might not have been as ready as, you know, as advertised. But I think in the future, when you are making strides, you know, I, I just think I just think Washington is, is in that right direction. And they've been, you know, that's a football-loving town up there that loves their Huskies. And we'll just see what happens, you know. That, you know, it, it will be tested, you know, uh, 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 whenever they got to go against Auburn. And that's what I'm saying. Like, SEC, they take these, these types of games on early in the season and to try to bolster their, their ranking. Um, I hope Washington beats them. You know what I'm saying? Like, I hope Washington um, goes out there and takes on Auburn in a season opener and really sticks it to them in Atlanta. So, we'll see what happens. So, that's a big, huge game for the Pac-12. They never really got to win a big SEC Pac-12 matchup. You know, Oregon went against uh, um, Alabama uh, in an opener and lost. Uh, Oregon went against Auburn in the national championship and lost. So, I'm rooting for Washington in that game. Um, number six... I said number six. I do apologize. Number seven, I have Auburn. And I have Auburn there because of Carrion Johnson, uh, what he was able to do. I believe the next guy can do the same thing. It's not so much about who the guy was, but it's just about the system that Gus Malzahn has. And he just has a good ability to have a good run style offense. Um, but, you know, they have to really, 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 really get better this, um, you know, right before the season kicks off because they've lost big-time players, and I named one of them. But they got Jared Statham back. He should be playing way better. Um, he had a shaky start of last season, then really turned it on, and that's why they really got that 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 momentum, especially when they beat Georgia. So what could happen um, – I don't. I really. I really don't. I really don't know. And I said, George, I'm in Alabama, um, but uh, they. they it, something really could happen um, this year if they don't lose to Washington. And like I said, I got Washington beat Auburn. If they beat. If they beat Auburn in the first week, best believe Auburn is not out of any type of you know saying chance to beat. Uh, uh, somebody in the college playoffs. I mean, let's be real here. SEC team can lose in week one, week two, and they can have a chance to come back and be in the college football playoff where it was before the BCS, but they can have that chance to be in the playoffs with one loss or two losses. But if they have to lose them early, it's technically basically saying that was a preseason loss. So, you know, saying that's going to be interesting to see uh, if Washington can knock off Auburn in that week one because I got them ranked side by side and um, that, that would be a very 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 interesting uh, matchup right there. So and like I said, I do apologize. It was Auburn beating Alabama, not Georgia. Um, uh, they did beat Georgia too, so um, that's why they was in a position they was at. Uh, but just to keep the list moving. Right after Auburn, we got number six, and that is Wisconsin. Wisconsin, to me, now, they're like the Toronto Raptors. 
Now, reason with me on this. Now, I don't don't start laughing or don't turn off the, the podcast or nothing. The reason why they remind me so much of Toronto Raptors is because they are good every year. Good offensive line, good running back, quarterbacks. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, quarterbacks are always kind of somebody, but. This year's, you know, quarterback that they have, you know what I'm saying? Like I said, it's not bad, you know what I'm saying? Alex Hornibrook is actually what you would call one of those, like, tweener college quarterbacks. I would like to say to where he's not going to win the Hasman, but he's not going to be the worst quarterback in the, in the nation. And, and usually LSU would have a quarterback that's going to be kind of bad. You know, usually teams like that, that that just can't get a quarterback, those are the teams that I always pick out. You know, those those are those teams that may not have it all offensively or defensively. They might have the quarterback. Michigan State, um, defense, quarterback. They always have a good, competent quarterback. Um, South Carolina is always one of those teams that has an iffy quarterback. Wisconsin with Alex Hornibrook, I always thought that from his skill level that he could be something. But my point is that, the reason why they are Toronto Raptors is because Ohio State is the LeBron. And it's so ironic that they're from Ohio and they wear LeBrons. It's all big. You know, LeBron loves Ohio State now and all that stuff. Even though he went to Duke. But Wisconsin can't beat Ohio State. Wisconsin will go to the Big Ten Championship. Wisconsin could go undefeated, but they'll lose to Ohio State. Ohio, Michigan can't beat, cannot beat Ohio State. And Wisconsin cannot beat Ohio State. What is wrong with you? Especially with Wisconsin when you can have a chance to even get in playoffs. What is wrong with you? So, that's all I'm trying to say. It will keep a lot of Ohio State fans, which I, you know, I ain't going to sit there and say I can't stand, but I hate them because I'm a Miami fan. And, you know, they will never, ever admit that there was not a pass interference back in 2002, but I'm not going to bring up old shit because I'm not that type of player of the game. So I, I, I'm going to keep it real and keep on the list, but Ohio State fans know that I'm rooting for Wisconsin at any time they play against Ohio State. So Wisconsin, you cannot beat Toronto Raptors. You cannot look at Ohio State like LeBron James. You got to look at them like we can beat y'all. We put our pants on just like y'all. So number five, Ohio State. They get my number five spot. Why? Because they somehow can get it done whenever the pressure is hot and Urban Meyer looks like his genius is not working. Ohio State, the wheels were falling off. They weren't playing good. Jared J.C. Barrett was just looking atrocious. Um, people were sitting there making fun of him. Can he throw? Ohio State whooped their ass. Um, um, you know, they was getting just, just toy with by little teams. You know, USC kind of went through that too. But Ohio State had a reputation. And what I'm saying is by that, when it came down to them playing the real hard conference games, they shine. JT Baird showed up. Um, the run game showed up. Um, that that little kid, Weber, oh, my God, he is special. Um, they got, you know, great talented wide receiver. Um, Ohio State is something to be reckoned with this year at my number five that I got them at. And, you know, uh, uh Dwayne Haskins um, is going to uh, have that starting job. Uh, JT, Parrott is, JT Barrett is gone. Um, uh, 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 
you know, Tate Martell may nudge the coach a little bit if Dwayne makes some mistakes. That always happens in college football. As you can see, it happened in the national championship game. But Urban Meyer just knows how to prepare. He knows how to adjust. And I'm thinking that they're going to have one of those good years. Um, I, I hope they don't have a better year than Miami. But, you know, Nick Bosa, I mean, is a beast. And he's coming back. And they're one of the best teams in the Big Ten. So, um, so, uh, uh, you know, where they beat TCU, Penn State, Michigan State, uh, those were some big games for them. And it's sad that we can't say Michigan. It's, it's sad that we can't say Ohio State has to beat Michigan. It's like it's a given. So we're going to keep the list moving on that note. God, dog it. John, Jim Harbaugh, get it together. Get it together, Jim. Get it together. Number four, I have Oklahoma. Now, people may go say, huh? Oklahoma? Over Ohio State? You don't think Ohio State should go over Oklahoma? No, I don't think so because why? They have a quarterback that actually has played. They have a quarterback that actually has a chance, that had a chance to start at Texas A&M, Kyler Murray. Didn't really work out well. He's a baseball player, got drafted this year, um, believe it or not, and actually took it. And so, you know, he's going to enjoy this year, uh, check his options. He's he's, He's going to be able to play this year. Um, I think he should play baseball. Um, he's real small. I don't think in the NFL may work out for him, but he's he's hell athletic. He's fast. He um, actually bats uh, he bats very well um, in in baseball. So I definitely hope he chooses that sport for longevity reasons. In the NFL, he'll just be trying to prove a point, and he doesn't have a Drew Brees type arm, even though he does throw a pretty deep ball. I just don't think he'll be that accurate. So, you know, Kyler Murray, I do think, will be good for college football, of course. You know, Charlie Ward was a Heisman winner and got drafted by the Knicks and not in the NFL. So, you know, that's where I see, you know, Kyler Murray. And with this run game, Rodney Anderson is a beast. You know what I'm saying? Rodney Anderson is somebody that cannot be messed with. And in that bowl game against Georgia, when you got seniors, Roquan Smith, people like get flying at you, and you're able to make plays, um, 50-yard plays, you know, 30-yard plays here and there, 20-yard plays, you are a hell of a running back. And for them to shred Oklahoma, Georgia's defense the way they did, um, just let you know that he's going to be a problem. Um, he was a freaking redshirt freshman. He's going to be a sophomore this year. Rodney Anderson Hollywood Brown um, is a monster. Coming from Juco, man had 57 catches for 1,000 yards. He had 12 touchdowns, okay? So when, when you look at that, um, when, you, when you look at that, I, you just like, okay, all you got to do is, you know, Lincoln Riley, get that relationship you had with Kyler Murray that you had with Baker Mayfield, and they are going to be on fire, you know what I'm saying? Now, the one thing that they struggle, 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 and they shouldn't still be struggling at is defense. So, defense, get it right, because the spring games still look kind of bad. Defense for Oklahoma has to get better. They give up the most rushing yards. They give up big bombs on the pass game. Oklahoma's defense will be the reason if they lose, I will point to, not the offense. Hollywood Brown, Kyler Murray, Rodney Anderson, Jesus. So, Moving on. Number three. I got Clemson at number three. Um, Clemson is number one on the RPI 
Um, <laughs> this is this is this is my thinking. Okay. Um, Clemson having what they have didn't look all that great to me. Even though Kelly Bryant looked talented, looked like he was poised, and all that good stuff. The one thing that I saw in that in that playoff game, because I'm going to go straight to that, like I said, my list is purely on your last performances and what you were bringing back and who's, you know, what you recruited and things of that nature. But I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> with what I saw against Alabama, you saw a team that could not move the football. I mean, at all. I mean, could not move the football. And I'm so happy that that game was first in the college football playoff instead of meeting in the championship. Even though I wish some other teams was in the playoff, but I mean, they couldn't do nothing. I mean, like, there was plays where you all oh, make a play there, Kelly Bryant, under the rest, you know, just could I mean, it made the ACC look bad. Making my claim for them being the best, very look bad. I mean, Nick Saban's defense, that might have been the best defense they ever had put out there. But, man, just the way they could not do anything, in couldn't do nothing. I mean, like, uh, uh, the only person that really did something was Ridley's brother. You know what I'm saying? Uh, 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 you know, Ridley's brother, you know what I'm saying, for, uh, Georgia, you know what I'm saying? Like, 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 uh, uh, that, that player, that player is the only one that can probably do something to Georgia's defense that I saw that was, that was competent enough. But other than that, you know what I'm saying? Wasn't nobody doing nothing that defense. And Clemson, of all teams, was supposed to be that team that were, well, if Clemson's gonna lose, they're going to lose to Auburn, which they already played against, you know, lost against, but they're going to lose to Clemson. Like, they, they could lose to Clemson, and they could not do not one single thing. I watched that game on the Coach's channel, and they were just like, my God, it was Hogerson, it was uh, Gary Patterson. I mean, they had, you know, uh, uh, a, a lot of great, great, great coaches in that uh, in that room, and they did not see that coming. They didn't see Dabo uh, Sweeney's team looking like they just could not make any type of push. And that's where I see Clemson at, you know, where I have them. Um, so just to keep them moving, you know, and say things positive and saying that at least they got a five-star freshman that's coming that's going to push Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence. Um, but, you know, I just, you know, we're going to see what they got. We're going to see what they got. They lost a lot. Um, you know, uh, 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 you know, Travis Etienne going to have to really sh- shoulder the load as far as the run game go and the defense. They're still good, but how good are they? So we're going to see. Hopefully Miami's is better. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to throw that out there too, just to keep it moving. Number two, Georgia. Got Georgia number two. You went to the national championship against Alabama. So you guess, you know, I'm very, 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 very high on Alabama being number one preseason ranking. So Paul Feinbaum, you ever listen to Soft Straight Talk Show? Just know I got your back if you won an Alabama number one preseason. But Georgia is number two. They represented the SEC, I think, the best way uh, they could. Um, with Kirby Smart, I thought another Nick Saban protege goes off to a team, struggles, gets fired. That's kind of been the norm. He's taking the bull by the horns and telling – he's telling um, – he's, he's telling – okay. He's looking at Nick Saban like, look here, you taught me. 
I learned, and I'm going to adapt my new ways. And I think that made that game as close as it possibly could. If he would have tried to just copy Nick Saban or just try to just, you know, he would have lost that game very badly. But the fact that Kirby Smart is very, very good at football coaching, I mean, Jesus Christ, the things he was doing, but just getting at the right things he saw that, uh, for instance, like Nick Chubb was having a tough time, okay, we're going to extend handoffs now to Sony Michelle, not to Nick Chubb. No disrespect to Nick Chubb, who was going to have a good NFL career, but he is getting the caught at the point of attack to where in this game, if we get Sony Michelle going outside, what it means get him get his uh, hands on the ball on the catch, give him some space and see what happens. Hell, it got it going so good he handed the ball to Sony Michelle. He was able to get positive yards that way. He made that adjustment, didn't feel loyal to Nick Chubb to keep giving him the ball. He gave Sony the ball. Nick Chubb barely saw the ball. To keep it close, Jake Fromm, you know, after the interception, he threw whenever the momentum seemed like, you know, tagging below through his interception, then Jake Fromm threw his interception. There was no panic, but it helped Alabama, but it was no panic, and they was able to stay in the game. Kirby Smart knows how to coach, and, and, and Georgia's only going to go up. And I'm very high on Georgia. They lost a lot. They're going to get back. Because Kirby Smart was under the umbrella of Nick Saban. And I think he had a good turnout as far as players meeting him. And him actually keeping his word. He seems like a real good guy. You know what I'm saying? So Kirby Smart, gives thumbs up for you. Um, whew. Okay. So. Ah. Number one, Alabama. I already just, you know, I pretty much talked about them. Did this whole thing. But, you know, they're the number one. I'm going to talk about them. They are the shit. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Nick Saban uh, from West Virginia, for y'all that don't know, uh, he's from here. Um, but great coach, um, the best coach that ever held a clipboard in college football. You heard it from Soft Straight Talk first. Nick Saban is the best coach college football I've ever seen. To get the players, the attitude, the moxie, what he demands, how he lives, you know, things like that. I look at, and Nick Saban does all of that, and he's the best. I mean, he in that national championship game had them coaches really scared. I mean, and they got things done. A player almost lost his mind. He almost went after a coach. Nick Saban, no, you're going to not do this. He came back in the game. He made a big play without being angry or getting ejected out of the game. So, man, you know, all I can say is that high praise to Nick Saban and what he does year in and year out. Now, the big controversy is to attack Valoa. Jalen Hurts. I'm going Tua. Wouldn't you? I mean, guys, send me messages. What you think? Tua, Jalen Hurts. I'm going Tua. Left hand, fast, can actually be accurate on the run, on passing. So play action is more better. Um, he can throw a better deep ball. Check. Accuracy. Check. Arm strength. Check. Uh, he's better than Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts, man, should be a nice Braxton Miller for Alabama for what he was whenever Cardell Jones or JT Barrett was taking over. Don't mess this up, Nick. Don't put Jalen Hurts back starting. I know Tua is dealing with a thumb injury. I think he should be fine right now. It was earlier on in the spring, so he should be good to go. But, man, all I'm going to say is, is that he is hands down better than Jalen Hurts, the quarterback. It's not taking away the athleticism and ability and the good talent that Jalen Hurts have. Whew. Alabama, they got options. That's all I'm going to say. So, they are my number one, and that's my number one. Now, players, we're going to talk about that, um, you know, so just for a little bit. Players to look out for, 
you know, uh, there are tons of like new up and coming defensive players that are that are making their name because of these social media videos. I'm gonna tell you something. Social media is great for sports, and I'm gonna tell you why. Because you cannot beat, you know, just you know, whenever you heard about certain players when they do certain things, especially at practice or at uh, seven or seven. Things like that happens when you didn't have the social media ability to catch capture stuff on phones and stuff like that for people to see. Now we get to see stuff that, where we can appreciate defensive players. What I mean by that, I'm saying hits, you know, like like drills with the block. I saw a lineman, I think his name was, Jesus, uh, I cannot remember his name, man. I mean, the way he was pushing, when they was doing a, a cone drill, but he was, you know, it's contact, you know, light contact. But he had so much strength, he lifted this kid off his feet on just a push. It was a simple, just a push. And all, you get to see those things, man. It makes you so much uh, interesting seeing how this player is going to play on when the pads come on and all that stuff like that. So I want to talk about number one is Ed Oliver. And I've watched him with pads, light pads and full pads game footage and all that stuff like that. Ed Oliver is a freak of nature and he is the Aaron Donald of college football right now. The man is, um, you know, around that 300-pound range, um, not extremely tall, which I think is helpful in his favor as far as leverage, but he is so quick going sideline to sideline. Like, he made a play, and I think it was against Syracuse, if I'm not mistaken. It was a play where... Uh, I might have been Syracuse. It was a chrome helmet. So I'm, I'm give me some, give me, give me, uh, give me some, uh, uh, give me a break on them if I got that wrong. But I'm gonna say that Ed Oliver, who I did see, wear number ten. This man was double team. Um, the runner got the ball. He was, he made his catch. He turned around. He saw open field. He already made a move. He was thinking of daylight. But you know who caught him and made him fumble? The man who was double team. Ed Oliver. Ed Oliver was double teamed. He saw the play happening. He got off the double team. He was able to run that wide receiver down and force the fumble. Those are the type of plays that this kid makes that makes him the best player I think should be even, what, top three in the draft. So you got that. Then there's another play where he is bull rushing up the middle. And he is like just just checking just checking surroundings and things like that. He reads to see if it's play action, whatever, and makes a play. It was another play where he dropped back in coverage. He was he was you know about to drop down, put his fingers in the dirt, but nope, he stands straight up. He plays coverage just like a linebacker. I mean, this man could probably line up middle linebacker and probably run sideline to sideline like Roquan Smith or something. Ed Oliver Jr. from Houston is the best defensive player right now. He's better than Nick Bosa. To me, he's better than Rashawn Gary, to me. Um, so just when people think about our Cleveland Farrell from uh, Clemson, he's better than him. So when you think of defensive top players coming into this year's season, think of Ed Oliver from Houston, number 10. That guy is a beast. Nick Bosa is somebody, like I said, he's not better than Oliver, but he's right up there. But I think... Um, I think he's on TV more than Oliver, so people may say, nah, no way, man. Nick Bosa is the guy and his brother, you know, his his reputation precedes him. So, you know, Nick Bosa is going to get the edge because of Ohio State, TV time, and his brother. Um, Rashawn Gary, like I said, I mentioned him. You know what I'm saying? Hey, those are, if you can imagine those guys on the same line, you want to get nothing done. 
You want to get another done. So, I mean, those guys right there are the top three cream of the crop. And they're three defensive players, ladies and gentlemen. Defensive players. So, to name the first quarterback, um, Justin Herbert from Oregon, who I saw quite a little bit before he got hurt, uh, fractured collarbone. Um, you know, it, 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 he has he has great mobility. Um, he got a good arm. Um, he kind of, you know, reminds me of uh, kind of a Zach Robinson a little bit. Uh, maybe a little faster, but Steedham. You know, Steedham from uh, Auburn. You know, somebody that can just be mobile enough, but just, just he can step back and deliver good throws. And I think for that style, the way they're going to run the offense, it's going to be uh, fun to see. I can't wait to see them versus UCLA. Um, hopefully that happens. And Chip Kelly looks over across the field and sees his team and shits himself. So that would be fun to see. Um, but my favorite quarterback is Jake Fromm. He's hurt right now. He hurt his hand with a, I think it was a camping trip or something like that. You hate those off-the-field injuries that may have been on the field or may have been doing something horse playing or something like that. You hate those because Jake is such a good quarterback. There was times where I thought, I was like, what is he, a sophomore, junior? Like, you know, that's what I'm saying. These freshmen are coming in, and they're so poised and so ready. The preparation that these camps and high schools and stuff like that are getting these coaches to come in and teach these kids, especially the quarterbacks, man, that you're seeing top flight uh, um, um, uh, production. So, you know, him, um, uh, Jake Fromm, somebody who's played in the national championship is going to come out. He should be a Heisman favorite if he puts his um, um, eggs in, in, in the basket. <laughs> uh, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, if he divvies out the passing game right, you know what I'm saying? He can take off. You know, that's what I'm saying. Like, he can get yards from the rushing attack, get rushing touchdowns, sneak little rushing touchdowns. He can help his Heisman ranking there a little bit. Drew Locke from Missouri. I didn't catch a whole lot of him. He's going to be coming in. He lost a star wide receiver. So, like, it's going to, he's going to have to find a new bond with somebody in that receiving core to get a rhythm and try to help his name. Because, you know, big, strong arm type guy that does not, you know, uh, stand there and just take hits. He can actually move a little bit. So, you know, his skill set is actually good. So, you know, for his senior season, it's important for him to put his best product out there for the draft. Khalil Tate, I just think that is Lamar Jackson light. And the reason why I say light, because he ain't lighting up the, you know, the, the, the TV like Lamar Jackson yet. So he's a junior. He has this year to do so. The man had 327 yards against Colorado on the ground. He had 1,400 yards rushing. And the man sat there through for five touchdowns in the bowl game against Purdue. Khalil Tate doesn't have to worry about Rich Rod no more. Can come in and get that, get that new coaching, that new coaching, you know what I'm saying? That I think that, um, uh, I think that it's going to be helping him and and to give uh, to give a type of season where like show more consistent passing the ball down the field, find confidence to where you don't have to drop back and take off running. You know, what I'm saying like here's the situation with black quarterbacks. You know, and I'm not trying to get into this whole race thing, but the situation with black quarterbacks, if you take that option to run so much, especially when you get close to your junior senior year, you're going to get narrowed down to as a runner. Show your passing ability the best you can and as smart as you can so you're not messing up your chances to win the games. So you don't want to take super dumb chances and to mess up your stock and mess up your team's chances of winning the games. But at least show more confidence for Khalil Tate to run, throw the ball down the field. So coaching staff, give him confidence and practice so he can come on Saturdays and let it rip. And that way it can help his stock because I like Khalil Tate. He's a good player and he's freaking electric. And I think... In today's football, you need quarterbacks that are electric. Boogie, woogie, woogie. So 
Cleland Farrell, defensive end from Clemson. We all know about him. The guy's a monster. Couldn't believe he came back. Man, had nine and a half sacks last year in that power defense. And now, you know what I'm saying, he's going to add on to that and maybe show coaches, hey, I can move around 4-3, 3-4, whatever you want me to do. Um, Bryce Love, um, we know about him. Man, 2,000 yards, you know what I'm saying, last year. The man's a Pac-12 monster. Um, you know what I'm saying? He should have left, but he wants the chance for a Heisman in a name by himself. He had Saquon Barkley. He had Geis. He had names like that. Players that were a little bigger than him, too. So when you have that issue, it turns into a minor problem to where, like, you may not um, um, have all that much NFL stock when people are looking at guys that are a little bit more meatier and look a little bit more bell cowish. So that's why that happens. Um, then we got Devin Bush. We got Cam Akers. Now, I'm going to tell you a little something about Devin Bush, who I think is an undersized type linebacker, but has so much speed, and he's powerful. He can be undersized and be strong. He can go up the A-gap and just kill quarterbacks. He attacks gaps on stretch plays, and he's a he's a guy that plays with a lot of fun with football. He looks like he enjoys down, set, hut, you know, just make it happen. So I give him praise on that end to where like I say I think Devin Bush will have a good junior year where I think he will join the draft <laughs> enter the draft said join enter the draft this after this uh football season if he has a real good year especially Cam Akers is somebody else you can mention uh, Cam Akers I think is real good fast you know what I'm saying catches the ball does everything well um gonna need to help out uh, Francois or Blackman, whoever they're going to roll with. Um, you know, Cam Akers, I think, is going to be a great NFL running back when he gets to that level because he can do so much. And he's low to the ground. He can get past people. He makes moves. He's shifty. Cam Akers is one of my favorite running backs. Um, Raekwon Davis, defense in Alabama. Need I say more? He's six foot seven, 306 pounds. Let me repeat that again. He's six foot seven, 306 pounds. Raekwon Davis. That's an impressive, I mean, that is just amazing to play football, to move as fast as he can, and to just, I mean, he kills quarterbacks. I mean, man, his hands look like a painting, you know what I'm saying? Like, he can put his hand over a painting, you go, what is that? I don't know what that is. His hand's in the way. Christian Wilkins, um, uh, this kid uh, <laughs> from Clemson, another defensive guy, I think is a very, very good football player. Um, Christian Wilkins is a uh, defensive tackle who can really uh, handle double teams. I mean, the man can sit there and uh, just plow and find his way to stop the run and get to the quarterback. I think in NFL, I think his, I think his stock is what players are looking for. I mean, what coaches are looking for, for because when you look at guys like, uh, I'm gonna think of somebody like his size. You think of somebody like Gerald McCoy. You think of guys like uh, Geno Atkins, some guys that can just control things. You know, Aaron Donald is a is a is a freaking um, uh, uh, um, um, he's like an iPod with all the options. You know what I'm saying? These guys are just like, you know, I'm gonna just just do whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? To just disrupt. They're destructors. They're berserkers. Wilkins Christian Christian is that type of guy. I think Christian Wilkins is is that destructor. That that guy that just brings all types of uh, uh, um, havoc by trying to get to that middle. And he does it in a very smart way. You know what I'm saying? He's very smart with football. He, he knows what he's doing. Um, 
my only thing about Christian Wilkins is is that I don't know if people remember that he's one of the ones that was doing some weird things in the national championship against Alabama when um, Deshaun Watson won it for him. That if people go look at the footage of what I'm talking about, they might understand. I think that's why I was having a little hard time saying good things about Christian Wilkins because just go back and look what number 42 did in the national championship game when they won it. So, y'all go do that. Christian Wilkins, questionable guy. Jared Steedham out of Auburn. I like this guy. Played at Baylor. He got hurt. He transferred. Um... I think he's a. I think he's the reason why Gus Malzahn's. I ain't going no damn where. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna stay with this kid. He might play one more year, but he might make another quarterback say, "Hey, I want to go to Auburn." Steedham did not shrink. It looked like he was going to, but he did not. He played great. They almost went went to a national championship for crying out loud. They beat Alabama. I mean, hey, they can look inside and say, "Hey, we kind of somewhat champions. We beat the champs." Uh. You know, even though they lost to UCF. <clears throat> so, anyway, Devin White. UCF beat Auburn. Auburn beat Alabama. We all know the rest. Devin White, linebacker from LSU. I think one of the better linebackers I'm going to name. I don't think he's better than Devin Bush, but he is very, very good. Um, um, the thing about Devin White is he's just so athletic. The man played running back in high school. He rushed for 5,000 yards in high school. Now he's a defensive destroyer, six foot one, 240 pounds, and he runs like a gazelle. Why? Because he ran for 5,000 yards in, college, in high school. Jesus Christ. Now he's a tackler, so he gets to run full speed and hit the ball carrier. That's scary. Devin White, somebody to look out for his junior year. He's a scary, scary somebody. I'm going to name a few more, and then I'm going to get in and call it a wrap on the whole college football thing. And I'm going to pay some good, good homage to my West Virginia University. Um, who, like I said, I'm a very, very down-the-middle type person. I'm a Miami fan, but I'm not a biased person. And I represent where I'm from. So West Virginia, for them to have so many years of where they was, you know, kind of flirting with trying to, you know, be noticeable, you know, with Major Harris. I know a lot of people heard that name before. And then you go up through the years and you had, you know, Mark Bolger and stuff like that. But I think now is a good time for West Virginia to really hit the map. Rich Rod has a lot to thank for that. Um, and then, you know, players like Pat White, Slayton. Um, then we brought good players in like Noel Devine and stuff like that. And then Tavon Austin, Geno Smith. The names can keep going. But now with Dan Hogerson, you know, he's a very good ball coach. I think is an offensive genius. Some head coaches that, that are like that have some flaws as far as, you know, other things that they can learn as they get older. And I just think with him, you know, he's been an offensive coordinator so long, and I just think where he's now, he's getting his rhythm of being a head coach, better things for West Virginia are coming. So, like I said, back-to-back -back on this ranking list, we have David Seals and Will Greer, quarterback-wide receiver combination. You know, David Seals was a quarterback. He was going to play quarterback at WU. He wasn't going to get that opportunity. He transferred and came back and said, you know what? I'm going to play wide receiver. Best decision he made because the man can flat out play. He kind of reminds me of Dave, of, of Thielen from Minnesota Vikings. A little taller, 6'4", 203 pounds. He looks like a Jeff Samargia type guy out there. I think he's going to be good. I think he's going to play in the NFL unlike Jeff Samargia did. And I think he will be a good wide receiver in the NFL, better than Riley Cooper. 
And um, Davis Seals is somebody that is smart. He's under. He's played the quarterback position. Julian Edelman did in college as well. And playing wide receiver, it helps you so much. And it helps you a lot when you got a real Greer throwing you the football. Senior, um, he's a guy who's uh, played at Florida, transferred, went to WU, had a great year, broke his hand on a play where he was just being ultra-competitive. And I think if he wouldn't have got hurt, the West Virginia would have had a good ending of the year. Will Greer is a Heisman-type quarterback, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to see him say it. He makes all the throws. Hell of a leader. He runs. He gets. He needs to learn how to slide, but he's going to make the extra yards if he if he has to. So Will Greer, David Seals, those two guys out of West Virginia is going to make them do positive things if the defense and everything else comes together. They coming out the Big Twelve. The Big Twelve is looking good. Um, in this in this top ten in the RPI, I believe it was it was six teams out of SEC in the top twenty five. Six teams of SEC, six teams in the Big Ten, five teams in ACC. Um, that's that's just saying a lot right there. And you know, the Big Twelve got a lot to to, to say with their players too. But like I said, I just think ACC is that conference in the college football world. I know there's powers like Alabama, Auburn, or or you can look at Ohio State, um, or Oklahoma. But there's teams like Clemson, or you can look at newly like. You know, Miami is coming. You know, say I'm not trying to push this all the way through the mode, but we're coming. So I just think consistently the ACC puts out a good product and not just top heavy. Maybe that's more so of, of what I'm trying to get at. But, you know, earlier today I talked about a freshman uh, who's now a sophomore, Greedy Williams. I did want to throw him out there. That's guy, he's one of the best, he's the best cornerback in the country. He's a sophomore. You can't argue with me. Greedy Williams is the best cornerback in the country, and he's just a sophomore. The man is a ball hawk. He's heady, makes great plays, and he tackles. Keep an eye on Greedy Williams. Keep an eye on Damian Harris, running back out of Alabama. But also, like I talked about earlier, watch your back for Hollywood Brown. Um, that kid is electric, reminds me so much of Tyreek Hill. And I talked about earlier on my Facebook, I was saying that I really hope that Tyreek, uh, I really hope that Hollywood and, uh, 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 Greedy go head to head. The two nicknames, the two guys that I think would have a wonderful battle, wide receiver cornerback, Greedy Williams versus Hollywood Brown. That'd be great. Um, so I hope y'all enjoyed my segment from college football. I'm no Powerfine Bomb, Paul Feinbaum. I'm no, you know, I'm no uh, Kurt Herbstreit, but I do enjoy college football a whole lot. And I hope the information I gave you and what I had to say, you know, was insightful for the uh, listeners out there. And I seriously think that this year with the uh, college football playoff, the committee, you know, can get over the bullshit just a little bit and just look at teams that play early in the season good teams after week one. Because apparently y'all just close your eyes whenever grading Alabama. Because they don't play nobody. But there's teams out there that, like Notre Dame, I'm going to throw for example, that now they're independent, they're kind of slightly, slightly, you know what I'm saying, in the ACC, but they're still able to be called independent. They're basketball teams in the ACC, I don't get it. But... They play hard teams. You know, I see teams out there that, that play tough games. Clemson, I see, 
you know, I hate to be the one naming SEC, ACC teams, but Big Ten doesn't do it either. You know what I'm saying? The Big 12 does it. They end up running into good competition from week four to week five, week six, or whatever, in, the, in between their conference games. I want to see it more in the SEC. I just want to see that more. I want to see tougher non-conference schedules. And I want the committee to look at that and get it right. Because we got to give teams like UCF a chance, even though their schedule may not look as strong, but somewhat give their play the benefit of the doubt. Somewhat give their players and how they may be operating, because then we sit there shaking our heads whenever UCF beats Auburn in the bowl game. I mean, come on, committee. Let's get it right. I've got my hands, you know saying? i got my hands ready to slap every one of y'all. If y'all don't get it right, get it right. Get the baby powder out. Come on, committee. You know, Condoleezza, I know you're in there. I ain't going to slap you. I ain't going to slap women. Now, I ain't, but, but we need to get it right, people. We can't have this at the end of the year, UCF making t-shirts saying they're the national championship because y'all got that wrong. Teams losing at the heat of things like Miami, Wisconsin, teams like that that blow it, y'all are somewhat of the blame too. Because if you didn't want Alabama or you didn't want Ohio State to be that close to where they were or stuff like that, the way it fell apart or three SEC teams in it, then damn it, you got to win your games. Miami should have won your game against Clemson. Uh, Wisconsin should have won their game against Ohio State. They could have won the playoffs. So all those things need to happen. Hope you all enjoyed this part of the Salt State Talk Show, College Football. Stay tuned because there's another segment coming. We're going to talk some baseball, and we're just going to do real quick talk about the all-star roster. I said, Brendan. I really like your show. It's very interesting and teaches us a lot about sports. I really wish you would consider LeBron being as good as Kobe and the Cowboys rock. Thank you very much. Love your show. Keep it up. Bye-bye. And I'm back. Saw Straight Talk Show. It's time for a little MLB rundown. We got to go through the All-Star Week home run derby. You know, the fun stuff. Even the softball game. But most importantly, the All-Star game. The game that decides... Who's going to have home field advantage during the World Series? The rule itself has gotten some controversy in the past few years because it's been teams like the Cubs um, that, like, you know what I'm saying, they had the best record outright, but had to give up that home field advantage to the team that won over in the AL side. So, you know, what's going to happen in the next few years with that rule? It doesn't really change nothing about ratings, even though that rule was changed to help ratings for baseball in the all-star game, but it doesn't really help all that much. So, I mean, like, they might just keep it just because of pure competition of what baseball is, and that is making the all-star game important. Oh, baseball heads, shit like it. I mean, they want to have that. I mean, they're so serious about numbers and, and, and doing things the right way. It's right up their alley to have an all-star game with some meaning to it. It would be bullshit if it was like the NBA they have like a meaning towards that if the West wins the All-Star game, then the West has home court advantage. It's stupid because the Warriors get that, that chance to say so happen, which I doubt it. If the Eastern team has the best record, that Eastern team's going to want that home court advantage and not the Warriors. So I'm going to keep it moving. Just quick little things as far as like leaders, you know, over in the AL side. You know, Mookie Betts, I think everybody knows he's dominating right now as far as batting average. Altuve is right behind him. Um, something to say about Segura from the uh, Seattle Mariners. Also, with hits, Altuve got 122 of them. 
The man's got a got he's batting three thirty eight with one hundred twenty two hits. He's the best second baseman in baseball, hands down. Uh, Altuve, you know, what I'm saying that I just I think it, more positive things I can say about him is that he is a leader, and that is like perfect for uh, for a. a, a a clubhouse, you know what I'm saying? You can lean on somebody like him. Um, they got other great young stars, but if you want a pure leader, Jose Altuve is that person. Leading in home runs, J.D. Martinez is 27. Uh, Aaron Judge got 25. Mike Trout got 25. Um, I just think those are the, the three best hitters as far as home run hitters that you could have. I wish uh, John Carlos Stanton's home run numbers were a little bit better, but just take a look at the last, say, 20-some games, maybe 21 games. That man is averaging at 327, you know, and killing it. So, I mean, John Carlos Stanton has seen better days. So, I'm not even going to poo-poo on that because he's, he's turning around. People thought that he was going to have a, uh, a a bad year, a struggling year. All the New York pressure and all that stuff. Shut up because they don't have it. So, here we go with the standings, which Boston is leading over in the AL side, 62-29. to 29. You know that you know the the win percentage that they have. You know, was shocking to me because Boston. You know, you 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 you're doing turnaround and turnover stuff like Chris Sale. You know, he's the one dominant pitcher to have. Um, Severino hasn't been all that great. So now you know things are turning around. They have won six in a row. You know, saying they can't be stopped. You know, Boston and the Yankees. The Yankees worth to uh, mention too. They're fifty eight and thirty. You know, Tampa Bay is twenty forty five and forty four. They got a dominant pitcher in Snell, who is 12 and 4, who was looking for an all star bid, got snubbed. And that's probably one of the biggest snubs that I wanted to talk about because the man is just, you know, pitching lights out. He got an ERA of 209. He's, like I said, he's 12 and 4. And, you know, since 19 games started, it can't help the fact that the Rays suck. You know, they can't hit the ball. They can't score. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you got Blake Snell trying to do it all. Pitcher can't do it all unless your name is Otani. And, you know, that's somebody who pitches and bats. So, I mean, you know, there's not a lot of guys who can do that. So, going down the list for the All-Star game, which, like I said, that's the time where I get excited about baseball baseball, and where I kind of pay attention a little bit more about records and things like that until it leads to pennant race, wild card, all that good stuff. So, also, I wanted to mention the fact that I'm um, for certain that Manny Machado will eventually get traded to the New York Yankees. That was what I wanted to say before I run down these lineups. Manny Machado is one of the best third basemen this baseball league has ever seen in quite some time. The throws he makes, the clutch batting he does, he was able to come back from a torn ACL, um, or a torn meniscus, I do apologize, whatever the one it was, but he had a significant knee injury. And the man has was able to come back and and not really show no worse wear of that. And, you know, Manny Machado, like I said, one of the best third basemen that baseball has ever seen in quite some time. So now moving on to the all-star lineups, we got over at the AL spot, first baseman, Jose Abreu from the White Sox. Somebody with 12 home runs, 27 doubles. And, um, you know, so he fended off a late charge from the Astros. You know, Yuli Guerrero in the uh, – Voting, garnering over 1.83 million votes to Guerrero's 1.65 million. In the NL, we got Freddie Freeman, the hottest kid in baseball as far as numbers. 4 million votes. The motherfucker got 16 homers, 58 RBIs. I mean, he can't be stopped. Freddie Freeman, I wish, you know, some of these other teams that had him might should have kept him. 
Um, but, uh, you know, third time All-Star, um, Freddie Freeman is, you know, saying starting to be just more and more just, just like in the, I want to say just put him in the trout line, put him in the, in the, uh, Bryce Harper names, put him up there with DD Gregorius, Jose Altuve, people like it because he is that type of big time of player who shows up every single night. And that's why the Atlanta Braves has a good record. Why they're leading in the NL. We know how the Braves get towards the end of the season. I hope it doesn't happen again. Second base, we got Jose Altuve. Like I said, the the first best second baseman this baseball league has ever seen. As far as in the past, say, three years, I think Sports Illustrated, what, two years ago, made a, a cover with all the Houston Astros on it. He was the gleaming star out of that whole ordeal. And now they won the World Series. On a prediction of the person that made the cover for Sports Illustrated. So Jose Altuve, like I said, batting 339. The man is a monster. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't get no better than that. He's a leader. He makes plays on the field. He's a gold glover. All that good stuff. On the NL side, we got Javier Baez from the Cubs. You know, uh, he, he bid out Albies by 132,000 votes. Um, he His on-base percentage is about 892. You know, he, he showed improving power. And some improved play discipline. You know, all while making his customary dynamic plays on the field. Javier Baez, up and coming, all-star. Congratulations to that guy. Third base, we got Jose Ramirez from the Indians. We got Nolan Ariendo from the Rockies. Ariendo is consistent, consistent, consistent. The guy has had an incredible career. Five straight Golden Gloves, three straight Silver Slugger Awards, and now four straight all-star selections. Can't get no better than that. Colorado, you'd be stupid. If you let this man go on to another team like he did Troy Tulowitzki, which is starting to not look like a bad idea because I ain't heard that man's name in quite some time. Now, moving over to the AL spot for shortstop, like I just said, who's going to stay on the AL side, but just hopefully with pinstripes, Manny Machado. You know, his name has been in the news for some days now. And, you know, as far as the July trade market, four-time All-Star, Manny Machado was going to be a star of the summer, whether he was voted into this game by fans or not. You know, he beat Carlos Correa by 56,000 votes. You know, get him an all-star game, put him in pinstripes, let him talk around with Aaron Judge and uh, John Carlo, Gary Sanchez, and them. And he, he would probably go, in, go ahead and start talking to management over there and start talking to Buck Showalter. I'm like, yeah, go ahead and get me out of here. So we're moving over to the NL side. Brandon Crawford, another favorite player of mine. Um, you know, World Series winner, three-time Golden Glover, uh, second-time All-Star. You know, this is his, one of his biggest offensive seasons. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's having a uh, batting percentage of uh, 847, and uh, he's 124 points north of his career norm. So, you know, Brandon Crawford keeps staying steady, and he's not falling off. Now, somebody I think that's really, you know what I'm saying, taking off, he's knocking on the door. For the Altuve's, the Trouts, and all those names like that, like Freddie Freeman. And that's Mookie Betts. And he's the center fielder for the Boston Red Sox. Now, I'm a Yankee fan. I don't like Boston. I'm going to repeat. I don't like Boston. But I respect Mookie Betts. You know, third-time All-Star starter. And, you know, this guy is, you know, I can't believe his slugging percentages went up to 343. You know, like, this, this bad narrative is 343. He's tearing the league up. Thumbs up to Mookie Betts. Now, who I think is really the best player in baseball, but like I said, until the team gets really shifted and making them a lot better, 
I think his name will jump up, jump out the screen because a lot of people know about him, but he's just so quiet. His personality does not allow him to be like a big time celebrity athlete, Mike Trout, who I think is baseball's best player. But like I said, other things has to happen to really cement that. He has been unstoppable. He's been consistent. He hasn't wavered. He hasn't slumps. He, he just does what he's supposed to do. He's a robot. He's Mike Trout. He's like, you know, he's customary of being great. You know, it's like players like that, like Ted Williams, Palmero, Cal Ripken. Uh, I'm an XL Palmero, steroid user, but Cal Ripken and I think Ted Williams are probably the two best names to use as far as just being steady. Steady. You know, just pure steady. So big ups to Mike Trout on that. Um, now on the AL side, we got Aaron Judge. Um, on Aaron Judge on the outfield, as far as like playing uh, right field, we got Aaron Judge. Uh, we got Nick Markakis, Mar- Mar- excuse me, Nick Markakis from the Brave. He's gonna be playing. He's gonna be playing over on the uh, left side over there uh, for the NL. Uh, Matt Kemp is gonna be playing center field. Bryce Harper will be playing right. And the interesting thing about these two outfielders, I think AL has the better outfield. Can't beat Brandon Crawford, Mookie Betts, Mike Trout. I can't believe Matt Kemp is back in the All-Star game, but he's, you know, just, 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 I guess he stopped talking to Rihanna or something like that, or she stopped talking to him. He turned his game around. Now he's back. I can't believe it. Nick Markakis, good job to him. The Braves, like I said, on fire. The man's got, uh, teammates, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, the Braves actually has a full team. So big ups, you know, Bryce Harper. I just seen a home run for him tonight. Crushed it. Now he's batting 210, you know, uh, He's not having the best year batting, but when he got a guy like that that's going to get votes and stuff like that, you know, he's he's already committed to the home run derby. He's about the crowd and the fans. You cannot have that guy not being no type of all-star event. So why not throw him in an all-star game? But why not put Snell in the game? You know what I'm saying? Put Snell in there because his numbers are better than what a Bryce Harper look at. And I know it's a pitcher batter, but still, be fair. Wilson... Ramos from the Rays, which I can't believe another Rays player, you know, other than Snell would be in this all-star game, especially a position player. But Ramos, you know, this is first all-star, first all-star, second all-star season, sorry. And, you know, uh, back in 2016, but he had an injury. He bounced back. So now he's back. He's batting 289. You know, he's, he's, he's playing a little bit better. He beat out Brian McCann, who ain't been playing all that great for the Astros. So, he got him in there. So, I mean, that's a good job for Mr. Ramos. Moving down to the NL catchers, Wilson Contreras. And Wilson Contreras, you know, hit for his first time since 2014, you know, somebody other than Buster Posey will be sitting there in the starting lineup for a catcher for the NL. And this guy's batting at one base percentage is 841. You know, Wilson Contreras is playing for the Cubs. The Cubs, you know, they're trying to get back to that dominant, dominant place where they were, you know, being mentioned as, you know, World Series uh, uh, you know, obvious winners. Now we got Red Sox, Yankees, Braves. You know, Cubs is kind of lost in the sauce a little bit there. So we'll see what, we'll see what happens on that front. Now, designated hitters, interesting. JD Martinez, who is leading in home runs, definitely going to get that designated hitter, uh, call. I mean, that guy's batting 329. His slugging percentage is just, just ridiculous. He's, it's like I said, 74 RBIs, you know, and this is his first season in Boston. So, He's not feeling no pressure. You know, he's looking at John Carlos Stanton like, I'm waiting on you. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that John Carlos breaks out. I mean, like I said, he's been doing good the past 21 games. So I'm not going to pooey, ooey, pooey on that. 
you know, AL pitchers. We got Trevor Bauer. We got Jose Barrios. We got Araldis Chapman as the closer. We got Garrett Cole for the Astros. Man, Jesus Christ. Jay Happ is going to be uh, pitching for also for uh, for the uh, Blue Jays. And the Edwin Diaz out of the Mariners is going to be pitching as well. Um, this all-star team is, you know what I'm saying, is, is loaded. And teams, you can tell the players that got better. You know, uh, Luis Severino, you know, for the, uh, for the Yankees, you know, uh, I'm glad, I'm glad he was able to make it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm happy to see Yankees in the all-star game. Because for a second there, I was thinking like, are we any good anymore? And, you know what I'm saying? We had to take, uh, some measure steps to, go through the farm system, bring players up, and all that stuff like that. Now we got Severino's brother. I Hopefully he can come up and be good too as well. Whew, Chris Sale is going to be pitching, and like clockwork he has been, I mean, he'd sit there and beat the Yankees 11 to nothing. I mean, gave up nothing. Chris Sale is one of the deadliest left-handed pitchers I've seen since Randy Johnson. This crazy, tall, lanky, wild left-arm relief. He throws a slider just like him. I mean, it's just damn near identical. So I just think that is something uh, to be watching out for in the All-Star game is to see Chris Sale's performance. Justin Verlander, he's going to be an active on um, reserves. Mitch Moreland, um, Glaber Torres from another Yankee right there. Um, he put out a tweet, very happy. He's like, wow, what can I say? Just a big thank you to all the fans who voted for me and my teammates. It's a humbling experience to be selected to my first All-Star game. So, I mean, like I said, Yankees, you're doing a good job. Astros got Alex Bregman in the game. And this is his, you know, his game five World Series of Rhodes, you know what I'm saying? People know about that. We wanted to see if he could sit there and have a steady first half of the season. He's done so. He's batting 284. He's got 17 homers, 29 doubles. And he's playing for the defending champ. So you think a, a microscope is going to be on that guy. Francisco Lindor, one of my favorite baseball players, uh, shortstop for the Indians. Like I said, he does great things for the offseason with kids. Uh, like he's, you know, he, he, for a young man like that to show his philanthropy and stuff like that, that's always good. Use your money the right way, and then it always comes back. You know, you 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 pay forward, you're always going to get something back. And I think with Francisco Lindor's career is going to go up because the kid has a good genuine heart. He's batting 301. He's got 23 homers, 27 doubles. He's a monster, you know what I'm saying? So he should be starting, you know what I'm saying? But I'm not even going to get there and go into all that. Michael Brantley, Mitch Haniger, George Springer's in there, Sensu Chu. This is going to be a good all-star game. So I hope everybody enjoyed it. I just wanted to do a quick rundown of who is going to be playing. Um, like I said, we got Salvador Perez, Nelson Cruz, Patrick Corbin, Jacob DeGrom. All these players are going to be you know, having the chance to, you know, saying really show what they're going to do. And, um, you know, these managers are going to have to figure out a system, a strategy to try to sub these guys in and out. So I just cannot wait until all-star time because that's when I really start watching baseball. So people that have been, you know, stay tuned and uh, uh, been making sure we're watching every episode, listen to every episode, excuse me, you know, probably was wondering like, hey, I've even got questions like, when you going to do baseball? When are you going to talk baseball? Today's the day. As as time goes forward and, and records get tight, you know, saying we get close to October, you know, that's when baseball is going to kick up. There's no need talking about a 162-game season, it's, you know, for game by game and situation by situation. You know, now we're getting tired of the trade deadline and all that good stuff is worth talking about, um, you know what I'm saying? So here we are on the NL side of reserves. Paul Goldschmidt, good luck to you. Uh, Joey Votto, Ozzie Albies. 
um, Scooter Janet, who I cannot believe. Um, Trevor Story, big ups to that guy. He's a real good baseball player. Charlie Blackman from the Rockies, he's a good player. He should be starting here in the years to come. Lorenzo Cain, um, you know, saying playing for the Milwaukee Brewers. He's, you know, had a good first half, um, you know, saying he, I bet he wish he could start because he was a starter back in 2015 when the Royals had what? About six players in the All-Star game, which was the most in a long, long, long time. So I'm pretty sure next year for the Brewers, he's probably going to want to get into that start position. I think he's got comfortable where he's going to be. And, you know, who time, time will tell. But Buster Posey, I'm surprised that that man is not going to be making a start. But bump from the starting spot, not from the roster. Posey makes his sixth appearance on the NL squad in his midst of an 18 season in which he has logged the 290, 371, 420 slugging percentage. So, look here. Buster Posey, the catcher, you know, the, the guy who, you know, made heroics in the World Series, you know, made big plays and stuff like that. You know, this is the type of time to where when you don't make it a start spot, people may sit there and think like, oh, he's losing a step. Or, oh, he's not the same guy. But sometimes you just got to, uh, there's new players that comes in that that may show a uh, 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 fresher, younger talent that may wow voters and stuff like that. Just to see Buster Posey still making the team, that's all good with me. I don't think he's lost a step or done anything worse. It's just that new guys comes up, just like for the uh, Lorenzo Canes and stuff like that. Like somebody had to sit for him to start, and just like he's sitting for some for somebody else to start. It's all how you build up and how you keep going. So, you know, saying that's the all-star teams, you know, the starters, the bench. And, you know, saying, like I said, it's going to be a good event. Like I said, I can't wait for the, even the celebrity softball game if they're having it. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, I'm really, I really get tuned in around the uh, all-star festivities with baseball. And it's going to be in Washington, D.C. The Nationals going to be hosting. Of course, Bryce Harper is going to be the man of the hour during the uh, home run derby, he's already, like I said, publicly committed to it. He better, you know what I'm saying, because who else is going to bat for the Nationals in the home run derby that has his type of box office name? Nobody, you know? So, hope everybody enjoyed this episode. I wanted to get that done, you know what I'm saying, because, a lot of, like I said, a lot of people have been asking about, when it, where's the baseball coverage, you know? So, you got your college football fix. That's coming. You got your baseball fix. So, that's my show. I catch y'all on the next episode. Make sure y'all stay tuned. Make sure y'all go to Spotify now. I'm on Spotify, so more than Anchor. Check out Spotify. It's a little bit easier to get to. You don't have to worry about downloading and doing all the stuff like that. So go to Spotify if you are already, you know, saying subscribe to Spotify. It makes it even easier. Go to uh, Browse Podcast. Go to search. Type Soft Straight Talk Show. It's going to pop right up. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Y'all take it easy.